Hey everybody, welcome to another episode, episode 76. Uh, we're all here on Skype. Uh, Giancarlo Alino here with Chris Martelli, Anthony Piniello there. Guys, wrestling. You don't need to win to get a title shot. We saw this last night. Seth Rollins, who lost at WrestleMania clean, ends up inserting uh, title picture because that makes a lot of sense. Big Show did it the week before when he made a event at WrestleMania. So uh, what are your thoughts on Seth Rollins getting the shot? Are we really surprised? Are we really surprised? I mean, I thought I thought the winner of Seth and Kevin Owens would kind of like it would lead to it down the line. I, I didn't care if Kevin Owens was a face. I mean, I would have loved to see Kevin Owens versus Drew. But of course, you know, you need the heel there. And uh, AJ isn't he isn't around right now. Uh, Bobby Lashley is he's not ready for a WWE title shot. There's no Jinder Mahal. So I would I would just give it to Seth Rollins. I think he's the safe pick. But again, like you said, he didn't win at WrestleMania. So in the long run, in wrestling terms, it kind of doesn't make sense. I love how we talked about Bobby last week. And then the first matchup on Raw, he takes on No Way Jose. Just a great start. I have no problem with Seth, though. Everything he's doing has been amazing. The guy just drags me in all the time. So him and Drew, this time Drew is the face, Seth is the heel. It should be some fun stuff. Yeah, little thing about Bobby there. Did you see a little tension over there with his manager on the side where he got out the ring? Uh, it was popular on Twitter. <laughs> and then he's saying uh, Leo Rush is uh, tweeting out, oh, his phone's ringing. And then he had the picture, if an image can uh, speak, just see Lashley, Lashley like four times. So do you want to see Leo Rush back in the mix or should they go with MVP? No, I want Leo Rush back. That guy's money. Um, either way, MVP or Leo Rush, it, it would be way more entertaining than Lana. No offense to her, but for me, that storyline, it's been over for like three months now like rusev's not even on tv anymore there's no point of having lana with lashley yeah just just get rid of lana at this point <laughs> Did you see the, the cruiserweight tournament bracket they didn't even put leo rush in that and they have guys in there who have like barely been featured on nxt so leo's available now so why not switch him over to raw relive that magic I mean, that would probably boost his momentum, like, moving forward, Lashley. And that, I think out of all the superstars, I think he's, like, he's one of those guys that needs to kind of go over the hump. Because he's just been in limbo for a long time. Just kind of get over the hump, bring back Leo or MVP, and you're, you're rolling. Yeah, because he even had the qualifying matches for next week come out. And they don't have anything with Bobby Lashley. They have Apollo Crews taking on MVP. In a qualifying match for Money in the Bank, two guys who you never would expect to be in this match at all, they're, one of them's going in. So do you want to see a late replacement in this match? Are we going to see maybe like a Randy Orton come back or AJ Styles come back? And one of these two are going to end up being removed from the match? I'll say no, just based off of uh, the beating that Randy and uh, AJ got. Like, I think you got to sell it a bit. Like, they maybe should be off for about a month. I know Randy, uh, he's, I know he's not part-time just yet. Like, he's not labeled as a part-time, but I, I feel like he's going in that direction, at least maybe this year and maybe the years moving forward. 
So maybe maybe leave Randy off of the money in the bank. He doesn't he doesn't need to be in the match. I think maybe Apollo Cruz. Uh he could maybe be in this match. He could be like a similar type guy like a Kofi, where like he's been in the match numerous times, hasn't won. I don't see Apollo Cruz winning. MVP, on the other hand, has no business, in my opinion, being in the money in the bank ladder match at all. I see Randy slithering in there and just taking out Apollo one week before the pay-per-view. So I'm on the other side, Christopher. <laughs> Last year when we had our boy Brock come in and win the gold, that briefcase had come out. <laughs> Do you actually think Randy will end up winning the briefcase if that happens? That's all Pinello. That's that's all Pinello. <laughs> Just to get some more star power into the match, uh, I think he would do something sneaky, like take Apollo out. I don't think he's like little. I think he's above that now, Randy. You can still have him in the match, but you got to give it to someone else at this point. Yeah, I'd say I like Black. Yeah, for sure. Either him or. Uh, Depending on what they do, Rey Mysterio's match, then they have Austin Theory taking on Alistair Black. I think that's way too soon for him. So I think he'll be back in NXT. Do you think Austin Theory, though, has made that much of an impression where he should stay on the main roster? Uh, I think he's good where he is right now. Like yesterday, they, they were featured with Andrade and, um, and Garza three times throughout the entire show. It reminds me of Seth when he was champion. You and he would come out like through every hour of the show, and these guys have to be featured. It's tough given what's going on right now, but uh, I think he's doing all right. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I didn't actually expect him to be this featured. I know that there's not a lot of superstars right now that are there on a weekly basis, but yeah, he's he's doing pretty well for himself. I mean, if he goes down to NXT. Like who who would he face? Like I'm trying to think of like a a feud, like a meaningful feud that he would really have. I know Finn Balor's busy, Adam Cole's busy. Um, I really don't know who Theory would kind of go up against. So right now, you know, with Garza and and Andrade, it's a it's it's making Zelina Vega really happy, and it's making all of them happy. So I think it's a it's a good trio right now. I would keep that. And uh, uh, last week too, uh, Tommaso Ciampa lost on NXT. Or thinking maybe he should be one of the people in this Money in the Bank match. Should they use this as a way to debut him on SmackDown and bring him up? Um. Oh, I don't. I don't know if he should be in the Money in the Bank ladder match, but I do think. Yeah, I think he should maybe come up. I know Killer Cross. I think they've hinted at Killer Cross maybe facing Johnny Gargano um, in the coming weeks because. Uh, we all know that uh, Candice LeRae actually turned heel, which I never thought would happen, which was pretty funny. Um, so, yeah, you need Killer Cross and maybe Scarlett Bordeaux will debut and they'll they'll face each other in like a mixed tag feud or you'll have Killer Cross destroy Johnny Gargano, whatever. But, yeah, uh, Ciampa's done everything in NXT. He doesn't really have to do anything else. I saw a couple tweets saying, oh, have him go after Adam Cole one more time. And I'm just like, yeah. nah. He's 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 done it way too many times. So, yeah. If anything, just maybe uh, if you want to make his debut intriguing, maybe you could put him right away in the Intercontinental Title picture. Like you can maybe have him face Sami Zayn and maybe see what happens from there. Uh, I really got nothing after that. He really has run his course down there. Uh, he's really feuded with anyone. 
if they were to do it again, it's basically just topping what they've done in the past and everything that Tommaso has done in the past is basically excellent. So the last match with Gargano was the icing on the cake for me. That's the awesome way to end it for NXT. It's time to move on here with him. Yeah, another guy who we finally actually saw on TV and looked meaningful was Shinsuke Nakamura. Comes out, cuts a pretty decent promo. Wasn't expecting that. English was uh, improving. Looked uh, at Braun Strowman and said tonight he was going to get it in his hands, but Braun got the match. And The Fiend comes out with the new Firefly Fun host and talks about Braun Strowman and he did for his career. That looks like the feud they're going towards. If Braun were to beat The Fiend, is that going to cause a lot of uh, ruckus online? Yeah. He's not. I don't see him beating The Fiend. Uh, whenever this match happens, I don't know, because apparently Money in the Bank is right now canceled, so I don't know when the next pay-per-view is, but I wouldn't be surprised if they took the title off him on, like, a SmackDown. I just feel like they're not, they're not confident in him at all. Uh, we all know that the reason he got it was because Roman... Uh, he had to pull out of WrestleMania, so I love you. You guys all know I love Braun, but I, I, he's a transitional champion. I think I don't think it's gonna last. Yeah, I see Bray taking this, but uh, I'm gonna enjoy every moment of it because I just love the whole connection with the Wyatt family. Uh, you can tell Braun is getting more comfortable on the mic. He even clap back at Bray at the end there, so uh, this should be really fun. Another thing, it looks like Jeff Hardy is going to get another massive push. Uh, they're showing the vignettes. Sheamus got a little jealous a little bit, walking by uh, Michael Cole. and he's. Uh, it looks like they'll maybe do Jeff Hardy and Sheamus first, but there's also another match that a lot of people want to see, Brother Nero versus The Fiend. Should they do that right away, or should they hold that off for SummerSlam? <laughs> oh, my. Um... Are they only pushing him because Matt Hardy left? Is that like, why? Um, it's all good. I love Jeff Hardy. I love what he did with Randy about a year and a half ago. I'm not pushing him anymore. <laughs> I'm not putting him in any title shot. Like, I mean, you look at the guys on SmackDown. He's not even close to, like, a Daniel Bryan, like, a Braun Strowman, like, in terms of, like, you know, like, appeal, like... Jeff Hardy is past that point. I don't see him. Are you kidding me? Like, I can't even think of Jeff Hardy going up against The Fiend. Like, I can't see how that would work out. So, I mean, maybe I'm being hard-headed here, but all I'm going to say is prove me wrong if they do it. Prove me wrong. I, I'm on the total other fucking side of this. I want them to build Jeff up. <laughs> I want to see that so bad. Build Jeff up. Build him into that credible star that you know that he is. And um, you can have him take on The Fiend. You can do some amazing things there. Like, I feel like he's only getting this push because of Matt. But um, everywhere that Jeff's been, WWE, as a single star, WWE's treated him the best. So Vince is putting the ball in Jeff's hands, and uh, they can work some magic. Just got to give it some time. Would this be my, my biggest even... question though is uh, I don't know if if he can just beat the fiend and then like no like, it's not out. no it's not out. <laughs> okay see there that that's my point is like he's not winning there's no way he's winning because the fiend is the best thing in WWE right now unless you do like a miracle Jeff Hardy 2008 run like go for it sure but uh, yeah that's very rare that's that's I don't I don't think that's happening. 
what would you expect in a match like that? Fireworks shooting at each other, uh, cables just falling from the ceiling, more vignettes from the past. What can they do with Jeff Hardy? Can they still do the ultimate deletion? Can they do that kind of setup? You think Matt would get mad if they would? Uh, they stole his idea, but I think it would be along those lines, something fucking freaky like that. Yeah, it like brainwashes them and then wins the match. <laughs> Runs him over the lawn more, and he's out of the way, like the last one. More of lawns. There it is. <laughs> Jeff Hardy. Holy shit! All four of them. I'm with you. Uh, any other wrestling news? John Cena. When he comes back, he's turning heel. Just wait. There it is. Confirmed. He's right gonna here. win the 17th title, and he's gonna be the heel. Winning it. There it is. Who is he going to beat? He's going to beat Bray Wyatt. Oh, my. Yeah. They're going to, you know how I could see him doing it? I could see Bray, like, because he's not really booed. Like, not really. Like, The Fiend, he's not really a guy that people boo. So, like, you can kind of groom it as, like, he's kind of like a face or like a badass or, like, people cheer him. Then you could have John Cena come back and be the complete douchebag, dipshit. Like, I, I want to win my 17th title. He does it by any means. And when he wins it, oh, man, he will glow till his career is over. And that is the perfect way to go out. <laughs> oh, man. All righty. So that's wrestling. Let's go over to the pond. Hockey, because uh, Sportsnet's been playing a lot of these old uh, playoff games from the past. Uh, Leaf rivalries, Leaf runs from 93. Uh, but the ones they usually, recently I've noticed, were Matt Sundin era games where the Leafs were close to winning the Cup. They had that team that could go all the way, 99-02. and 02, And uh, just they came up short against Buffalo and Carolina, the two teams that they should have won pretty easily against. Uh what were your thoughts on this era for the Leafs? It was the biggest what-if in Toronto Maple Leaf history. Oh, that's it. Yeah, basically the same thing. <laughs> it's just one of those where, like, you look at the you look at the way our team was set up. Like, we had Matt Sundin, who is the best centerman, at least in Leafs history, for now. For now. I mean, uh, Matthews is probably going to... I'm going to creep up there by the end of his career. But, yeah, like, I'm looking at this old one team, and our starting center was Sundin, and then we had, like, Reichel and Shane Corson. So, like, our bottom six forwards for the longest time was just not good enough. And uh, our our wingers, just not good enough. I mean, I love Gary Roberts. I love me some uh, Darcy Tucker and McGillney, but – you know, when the times got tough, they weren't tough enough in the, in the situations where, you know, it was an elimination game. Matt Sundin would always carry the team, pull up his socks. Like we were saying before, the pod went up. He would lead their team in scoring every year by more than, like, 20 points. Um, a lot of people actually compare Matt Sundin's situation to Phil Kessel's situation when he was here. It's kind of like a flip-flop. So I'll let Pinello uh, talk about the rest. We definitely came close a couple times, um, but like the entire time Max was here, with the exception of the last three years, we were always in win-now mode. 
So they'd always make these crazy fucking trades to get all these guys past their prime. It looks amazing on paper, but like they just couldn't quite get it done. And then when you look at the Phil Kessel era and going even going in today, that shit really set us back. Like if you gotta go all in, win the fucking thing. Went to the third round two times, knocked out in the first round so many times. I really do feel bad for Mats because he carried this franchise for so long. It's just one of those things, too. Like, when we would face Ottawa, we knew we were going to win. Like, we always had their number in the postseason. It's like, yeah, okay, we're facing Laleem. Yeah, we'll beat him, sure. And then as soon as we get to the second round, third round, it's like, okay, this is where, like, the actual players either perform or they don't. And usually when you have, like, a top six forward, like a Tucker or a Domi, that's not enough offense. So that was literally our problem. But yet again, we had McCabe and Caberlet who were – probably the two most underrated offensive defensemen that I can remember in that era. Like, no one really talks about those two. You had Lidstrom, Niedermeyer, Pronger, all these other guys. And then it's like, oh, yeah, but, like, no one talks about McCabe. This guy had 60 points a couple years. Like, they were amazing on the power play. I remember, you know, the whole the meme when Caverly would never shoot. <laughs> McCabe, he would always shoot the puck, like, 20 feet over the net. <laughs> it's just one of those things. Yeah, even, like... I'll take it, buddy. Uh, like, looking at Detroit, like, you would see they run over Ottawa, and then uh, you see Detroit, New Jersey. Like, New Jersey had Niedermeyer and Stevens, and then Detroit had Lidstrom. So you're in, like, a weird situation there once you get past Ottawa because the other teams are have much more guys in their prime on the wing. They had Shanahan, Fedorov. They had Iserman there, and New Jersey had Eliash and had a lot of were mostly defensive heavy with Brodeur and Net, so they played to their strength. The Leafs were just okay. If Sundin's not going, we're kind of fucked. So, but uh, I was going to say about McCabe, like the only thing people associate him with is scoring in his own net. People forget that he was a phenomenal player. Him and Caberlet anchored our blue line from the early two thousands and on. So uh, with those three, those were the three main pieces for me growing up. Other than that, it was just filling the pieces, and we either get there or we don't. Another concerning thing was, like, we had amazing starting goaltenders. We had Cujo, and we had Ed Belfour. But then, like, after that, it was just, like, you had Toscala and Shagare and Raycroft. It was just, like, you. there was a moment there where, like, like yeah, we had, like, okay forwards, but, like, our goaltending was abysmal. But earlier in the 2000s, our forwards were pretty good. Our We had a solid top pairing, and we had a great starting goalie. But, like, everything else, the utility guys were just non-existent. They didn't do enough. Like, even, like, I'm thinking about it now. Like, you had McGillney, you had Reichel, you had Remberg, you had Roberts, you had Tucker. These are all great players. But they're not going to score, like, that much. Like, they're all grit. So, like, when you're going up against, like, a Yashin or you're going up against, like, a, like you said, like, a Eliash in his prime. You had, like, Gomez, who was amazing in his prime. Uh, Brian Gianna. You had all these, di- like, uh, who's that other guy? Jason Arnett. Like, you had a bunch of good guys in New Jersey. And then you go to Detroit, and they were just a cheat code. Like, it didn't matter for them. Colorado as well. Like, they had Sackick, uh, Hayduke. Um, they had a lot of different guys. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like when it came down, I think our biggest thing was 
we needed more we needed more offense for Mats. And like we said about Phil, we needed a primary center for Phil. Never had that. So I know it's hard to fill all the holes for a, for an NHL team. Like like you think of like Chicago in 2010 to like 2015. Like they basically were a dynasty. They had everything going. They had the D. They had the goalie. They had the forwards. It's hard to do um, for an NHL team on a consistent basis. So that's exactly where the Leafs were. They never really had a consistent team where management was proud of and they wanted to roll with. So they always tried to change, you know, a couple guys. Like we had Brian Leach, Owen Nolan, uh, Eric Lindros, Doug Gilmore. Like they brought back all these veterans, but why? Like for what? For one little run? So like I feel like management was never confident and that proves how sad it was for Matt Sundin. Like, Like the management was not confident at all. Yeah, and even looking at the team, you look at Nolan, all those guys, they would make moves to add as much depth as possible. I think their ownership is a little bit to blame because I think they should have just, if you package some of those picks together that you went to go get those depth pieces and got like a Yammer Yager, then this is a whole other discussion. We could be talking about the Leafs winning like two, three cups maybe if they had Yager in his prime or at the end of his prime with Sundin, similar in age, them two playing together. Or if you went to go get a Jerome McGinley, Brendan Shanahan type player, I think that's where management kind of dropped the ball a bit. And if we had the management we have now running team team back then, maybe it would have turned around. But I think Matt Sundin, though, doesn't get enough love for how good he was in carrying that team. But uh, another thing here, with Detroit and New Jersey and Colorado and all of those stars that you were mentioning, no one seems to realize they were all drafted by that team. Toronto would be the only team out of the contenders that would go out of their way and trade their future. So, like, at the same time, when you look at all of the drafts in the 80s and the 90s, like, it's not just we, we came very close and we happened to miss out. They're just they're sacrificing the future for I don't even know. Perfect example, too. For like role players, like and you need a good role player, is the Tampa Bay Lightning Stanley Cup run in 2004. Like, don't say what I think you're gonna say. Oh, I'm gonna say it. Um, so like again, you're talking about like Gary Roberts never really went on offensively. He never took over. Um, McGillney took over a couple times, but again, he was like 33. He was uh, past his prime. The Leafs actually had Dave Andrichuk. And Dave Andrewchuk in that playoffs was fantastic. I think the Leafs could have maybe tried to get him. Fedotenko, oh that God. guy was absolutely monumental. And I think he was like 24 at the time, too. Like, a lot of people didn't know who he was. Um, Brad Richards was a rookie. You know, they had a really good team. Like, again, they all were players that got drafted by Tampa. But you got to just think of the term role player. And I think the management in Toronto never understood that term. They never properly looked at that term role player. They just thought of, let's try and get the hottest commodity and trade all our picks for them and see what happens. Like with the Owen Nolan, like with the Brian Leach, like with all the other guys that came. It's like... Oh, yeah, this guy, Owen Nolan, he was a monster in, in San Jose. Let's trade all our first-rounders for him, and let's see what happens. And, of course, it doesn't work out. So 
sometimes you just got to be patient. And Toronto management, I feel like a broken record. They were not patient. They did not wait. And again, we were probably one of the worst drafting teams in the 2000s. Gotta love John Ferguson Jr. coming in after. Fixed all that. What a guy. But, um, you know what? Give Freddie Modine some love. I think he was on that Tampa Bay team as well. Played, he played with us three years prior. Or no, three years and then went to Tampa the next year and won it. But uh, out of all those draft picks, I think the one that hurts most is Alex Steen. Because he really looked like he was coming into his own with Toronto. Playing with Mass. We traded him at what, 24, 25 years old. And yeah. he's just been a consistent killer in the league ever since. So for me, when it comes to uh, draft picks and all that stuff, that, that one definitely hurt the most. Please stab the act. Wow. Don't, don't talk to me, Lee Stephanie. <laughs> oh, man. I remember that trade. <laughs> there another team of the, that Leafs era. Like, I think 04 was like another one where they didn't lose to Philly. Could that have been the year they take out Tampa, go to the final and take out Calgary? Um, no, I think, uh, like, I remember I went to, uh, that was actually the year, it was pretty ironic, I went to Florida that year for my ninth birthday, and uh, I actually watched live, it was a treat, it was awesome, Tampa versus New Jersey, and that was, like, one of the best games I've ever seen, um, that was Habi Boulin versus Brodeur, it was, it was amazing, um, you think of, like, even Dallas was another team, like, in the 2000s, they were like consistently amazing, but again, they kind of had the same type of uh, structure as the Leafs. It's just they had the, they had a little more pieces. They had a uh, Daria, you know, they had Hatcher, they had a couple, they had Zubov on the blue line, who is one of the most underrated D of all time. Um, you had Madano, um, a couple other guys that were there. I think Newendike was there as well um, for a, for a certain point. So, um, but yeah, I don't think the Leafs would have beat. Uh, Tampa Bay that year but if we beat Philly I you know anything could happen but Philly even that year I didn't think they were that good like I thought they were okay but like, I'm thinking about it now like they had who Ronick and a couple other guys um, I remember they had John LeClaire um, Primo yeah Primo they had a couple good guys but like they weren't that much better than the Leafs so I think anything was possible that year you know what? I think we're out of the conference finals in that because, like, we went down two nothing and it fucking killed us to get back to get the series tied, and then we lost the next two games at home. So, like, that was a grind series. Like, they really had to grind it out to make it close. I think they eventually would have ran out of gas. It felt like the NBA from like '96 to like '03. There's like four or five teams that are at the top that you kind of know are going to make it, and everyone else is like, ah, it's a nice little story. That's kind of the Leafs. It was a nice story they made it that far. Yeah, really. Yeah, looking at that, like, I think 99 would probably be, like, if you were to look at it, because Dallas went to back-to-back cup finals. Uh, 99, they won. 2000, they lost to New Jersey. So I think if they were to catch one, maybe that would have been the one, because Dallas didn't have, like, as many... Like, they beat Buffalo, who just had Hashik, and that was it. Like, Toronto can come in. And uh, if they just shut down Shatan, it wasn't like a world beater at the time. He was getting 40 goals, but he had, like, 20 assists or 19 assists, whatever he had. So, yeah, I think they could have taken Dallas maybe in seven. 
that's probably the biggest what if of that year. I don't know. It's just like you think of Dallas. They had Brett Hall and Mike Medano. Like that is that's incredible. But yeah, you forgot one guy on that Buffalo team, Ray Ferraro. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> You got to give that guy some love. Um, Thirty goal score there, but yeah, uh, yeah, maybe the Leafs could have been where Buffalo was that year, but Dallas was winning that. Like Dallas was winning that series. I remember watching it, and my dad just he was in a he was in a playoff pool, and he took all the Dallas players, and he's like, "You see, I knew Dallas was gonna win from day one," and I'm just like. All right, Dad. And he kept telling me, he's like, you see Brett Hall, you see his shot. Like, it's one of the best shots, like, ever. And, like, everything my dad said, Brett Hall just proved it. So I'm just like, okay, Dad. Like, yeah, Dallas is the best team. So I didn't really know a lot about the Leafs in 99. Like, I didn't know, like, how great they could have been. But I don't think they could have been as great as Dallas. That was probably their best shot. But there's something about the 0-1-0-2 series that just it breaks my heart a little bit more just because it was game seven and it was the fucking hurricanes and oh my god i don't know <laughs> like, the they old dog. for sure but they were i don't know just heartbroken that yeah that year man yeah because when you look at that detroit no one's beating them i think toronto the most maybe six games if they're lucky that team wasn't gonna lose <laughs> like robot on the fourth line yeah, no, Detroit had that locked. They had that locked. <laughs> Brett Hall coasting around on the third line, a young Datsuk, and Shanahan, Fedorov, Eiserman. And then on the back, you have Lidstrom. Yeah, just good times. Brett Hall was like like LeBron. Like, he went to, like, four straight finals, five straight finals. <laughs> like, <laughs> holy crap, Brett Hall, legend. Gotta love them. Happy to see where Detroit is now, given all their success with smashing the Leafs early on. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, how's that medicine? Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> In the basement. Okay. So, uh, guys, uh, anything else you want to talk about from these uh, past yep. Leaf runs? <sighs> I hated Buffalo with a burning passion. I hated them so much. Like, early 2000s, it was Buffalo I hated the most. But then, of course, like, 05 and on, it's just by far it was Ottawa. And, like, I hated Ottawa because they would absolutely destroy the leagues. <laughs> like, I'll never forget. I think it was the 06 or 05 opener. They lost 8-1 to Ottawa. Oh, yeah, I, I never, <laughs> I never cried so much watching the game. Like, I was visibly, <laughs> I was visibly shaken. Like, I'm watching it. I'm like, we got ran over in the first game and like this team looks like a superstar team and then there's the Leafs so that's all I got Buffalo I hated I hated Shitnik and Zatan for the longest time and then of course you got to move it to the clown Danny Alfredson hell of a player but man I hated his guts I hated him for me it was uh it was just Ottawa I despise Ottawa growing up um, I remember they would smash us. They would sweep us every year in the regular season, get like the second seed. We would squeak into seventh, and we'd sweep them. So I just love the Battle of Ontario. Alfredson's a little rat bitch. I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, those, those battles were really fun. They got a God, I hope both teams eventually can get back to normal and start making the playoffs and taking on each other because my best memory as, uh, as a kid were Toronto versus Ottawa. Yeah, I'm with you with Ottawa. Like, I hated just seeing Keatley, Alfredson, Spezza later on, but during that early part where it's Alfredson and that thing where he threw the stick over, Dean and I like how Sundin got a back slap shot off the crossbar. All you hear is ping, and their hopes and dreams of ever going past that round against the Leafs were gone. So I like how Sundin, oh, every year he played, Ottawa's taking their competitive spirit away. It's beautiful to watch. Yeah, a lot of people are called Leaf killers. Sundin was a senator killer. He killed them every time. I loved it. Oh, yeah. yeah we got to go, to, go to the fucking court now. <laughs> I'm going to start this list with Pinello because uh, he always, you know, he has, he has the good honorable mentions. This is going to be probably the most controversial list. Small forwards are literally three positions. <laughs> so, uh, Pinello, kick it off. There it is. Honorable mentions. Uh, I'm going to kick it off with Joe Harris from Brooklyn. I'm not going to give any reasoning. I'm just going to throw by this. Going up north, OG Ananobi, third year in the league. He's been solid so far. He's just got to keep working on his offense. And finally, we got Will Barton, who's uh, personally one of my favorite guys in the league. I really wanted to put him in this list, but when I saw the other guys here, it was uh, kind of had to leave him out. But he's, he's been the second option at times when Jamal Murray goes down uh, with inconsistency issues. So uh, love me some Willie Barton. Those are my three honorable mentions. Yeah, I'm going to go TJ Warren as an honorable mention, Rodney Hood, and OG. Uh, big fan of OG. If he just gets that offensive consistency, I think the Raptors have someone here that could be like one and two with Siakam. They can complement each other really well. Uh, even last year, they're calling him Baby Kawhi, so that's a nice compliment. If he really grows into that. It's, it just speeds everything up after once everyone starts to decline, so... OG for sure, honorable mention. Yeah, my honorable mentions, I ha I don't have OG in it. It was really tough, but I had to kind of leave him out. Um, his offensive game was just not good enough this year. So um, I have Boyan Bogdanovich on um, on the Pacers. Uh, not the Pacers, uh, the Jazz, sorry. Uh, he's To me, he's amazing. I think he's a very underrated player. I think he had four, like game winners this year buzzer beaters so like give him the ball late in the game he will score um i have tj warren as well on the pacers uh he's not that great defensively but offensively he's amazing um i really like how he got out of phoenix <laughs> that was pretty funny um he had to leave there and then i have of course will barden on denver and last but not least kelly Oubre jr on uh phoenix so that's my honorable mentions there it is, kicking it off from number 10, Kelly Oubre Jr. Uh, I honestly forgot the Wizards had him, I'm not going to lie. Uh, his third year there, it looked like he was starting to break out, averaging 13, 14 points a game. Shift off to Phoenix, he's been a solid, consistent scorer since coming into the league. Um, he's got to keep working on those, uh, just got to be a little more consistent. He's a nice option behind, uh, offensive option behind Booker, but I'm thinking like, either next year or the year after. I want to see him get into, like, the early 20s. He's got to start picking it up a little more if the Suns want to start making some damage. So 
I got Kelly Uber at number 10. Yeah, my number 10 is all the way from Orlando, Aaron Gordon. Uh, he's been a small forward, power forward type uh, guy over there, but I see him improving offensively more than just being a dunker and a high flyer and one of those guys that can come off the bench and just do those high flying dunks and then like five or ten minutes later he's back on the bench. So I think he's uh, crafting a good role there in Orlando. And next year I can see him taking another uh, finding his three-point range more. So I like Aaron Gordon's development. I think he got robbed of the slam dunk contest a second time. Uh, just onwards yeah. and up for him. My number 10 is Gordon Hayward on the Celtics. Um, yeah, a lot of people, uh, before his injury, he was looking to be probably a top 25 player in the league. Uh, I know he's a type of guy that everyone loves. No one really hates Gordon Hayward. Um, it took him It took him a while to, to get back. You know, I think this has been now the second year uh, prior to his injury. It's taken him two years, but... You know, he knows now, like, his contract, a lot of people say, is is pretty bad. Like, he did – his contract's pretty heavy. But um, I, to me, he's a perfect role player. Um, he can maybe – I know his point production won't be, like, 23, 24 anymore. But he'll average, like, 18. And he will uh, – like, he's a guy, like, every time he hits the court, he goes all out and um, – very underrated three-point shot. Uh, not a lot. Not enough people talk about his three-point shot. Um, Gordon Hayward to me is number ten. He's a very good player. At uh, number nine, I got T.J. Warren. So the first year with the Pacers, I thought it was a really smooth transition going over from Phoenix. I also love that he got out of Phoenix. Uh, he's like the third or fourth option there, but he's still managing like 18, 19 points a game. Um, he is kind of a one-trip pony. There's not a whole lot other than that, but like I love watching his game. He's so much fun to me, so I'm giving him love here at number nine. Yeah, my number nine is uh, one of the bright spots on Utah, one of the few bright spots there, Bogdanovich. Uh, he's a lethal three-point shooter. Every time he has a ball, you know, that's his zone. Uh, it's really tough for defensive and like those kind of guys to stop him because he still manages to get his shots off no matter what they do, double team him. And uh, he's been reliable for them. And probably one of the reasons him and Mitchell that they're in that position in the arc because Conley's been struggling and Gobert hasn't had the season that they hope he would have. But yeah, I got Brogdanovich at number nine. Yeah, number nine, a lot of people are probably going to say this is low for him, but I got Tobias Harris on Philly. Um, he at times can absolutely dominate a game. Like we saw when Ben Simmons went down with the injury early on, um, Bruce Brown told him, you know, you got to be a little more aggressive with shooting. You got to shoot a little more. And once he started shooting a little more, I remember he was averaging 16 for majority of the year. And then all of a sudden it went up to almost 20 because his confidence just improved. So if that, if this guy has confidence all season long, um, I don't see why he can't be potentially a max contract player. He's very good. Um, his defensive game is amazing. I, no one talks about his defensive game because, of course, there's Ben Simmons there and Joel Embiid. They're two elite defensive players. So no one really talks about Harris that much. But Tobias Harris, to me, he can probably average, like, if he was still on Detroit, I wouldn't be surprised if he averaged, like, 24 a game. Like, I feel like he's got that offensive game it's just the confidence that isn't as consistent as I think he wants it to be so for now he's at number nine I don't know if he can maybe jump up but he's a great player 
At uh, number eight, I got DeMar DeRozan, who's playing his first year as a small forward after playing the last 10 as shooting guard. Uh, him and Aldridge, they're so smooth within the first, like, 20 feet of the hoop. He's been the number one option pretty much since coming into the league. Everyone knows who DeMar is. He's still averaging those all-star numbers. The only thing is, like, maybe he needs a change of scenery to move down to being a second or third option. That's the only thing that's ever said about DeMar. But uh, still a phenomenal player. Love watching him. Got to get him in here. So I have DeMar DeRozan, number eight. Yeah, my number eight from Philly is Tobias Harris. Like Chris was talking about, he's uh, improved a lot. I think he could be a max player too. I think he fits probably a little bit better if Simmons is just with him, if they're the one and two, than with Embiid in the mix. So if they were to trade Embiid and maybe get a few pieces uh, that can help at center, some secondary roles, keep Horford uh, as he's on the final couple of years of his career, I think Harris could really upgrade instead of... Uh, just one of those guys you have in hopefully make an impact. And I think he is a second option, but yeah, just with their circumstances, he's not with Embiid. Yeah. My number eight coming from Vaughn, <laughs> Andrew Wiggins. Um, this guy is money. Uh, I know the potential. He didn't kind of live up to it. It was hard to live up to it. His potential, like people were saying he was an ex God. So, um, his offensive game, though, has never been bad. Even coming into the league, he was like right away a second option behind, uh, or no, he was a first option in his first year. And then him and Towns, you know, they made that nice duo. Um, a lot of people are saying, oh, is this guy like coachable? Like, what's wrong with him? Why is he not, you know, making the jump, you know, to, to be a little bit better? His defensive game has actually gotten a little bit better over the years. No one really talks about that. Um, but for me, his offensive game is what makes him so great. Uh, he can easily put up, I'll say, 20 every single season. Uh, I know he had the last two years, I think he had 18 and 17. But I feel like that was just chemistry problems. I think, you know, Jimmy Butler going to the team, it kind of threw it off for Wiggins because Wiggins, kind of like what Pinello was saying about DeMar, like I think he's always been looked at as a first option. So when you start becoming a second, third option on a team, your, your confidence goes down. You start questioning your ability. So I think that's what happened with Wiggins. Um, but, you know, him going to Golden State, I feel like now he's in a perfect position. I know a lot of people are saying he's not going to stay there. Um, if he doesn't stay there, I could easily see him going. It might be funny to say. I could see him going to the Knicks. Like, just go there. Like, there's really nothing bad that can happen if he goes there. Um, but if he stays in Golden State, him being a third option behind the Splash Brothers – that's an, that's an incredible position to be in. So for now, he's at number eight. Um, again, like I said about Harris, I don't know if he can climb the list, but Wiggins, he's a, he's a great player. At uh, number seven, I got Gordon Hayward, who is uh, starting to look like his old self back from Utah. Uh, he's 30 years old, so he's basically in win-now mode. Similar to Tobias Harris, he may not get all the love and all the touches because he's playing behind Kemba and Tatum and Jalen Brown, but... I think he fits in beautifully with that uh, young group of players. So uh, Gordon Hayward, number seven. Yeah, I also have Gordon Hayward at number seven. I like the bounce back that he's had. Everything that he's done had to work a lot in that recovery because that could have been a real injury. could have been done after that and came back and seemed to have uh, looked like his old self. Hasn't like took a huge decline in his uh, production, so... 
Uh, based on that, I think you can still, it's going to take a while for him to really be a hundred percent. I think there's probably another year before that, but like the way he's progressing. So I got Gordon Hayward. Yeah. My number seven, DeMar DeRozan, um, kind of like what I said about Wiggins. Uh, he's always been looked at as a first option, still is in San Antonio, but again, uh, a lot of people bash him for his three-point ability. It's never really been there, but his bread and butter has always been the mid-range. We all know that. We've watched him for eight years in Toronto, so we all know him very, very well. We know he's an ISO player, which that gets a lot of negative press nowadays, whereas back in like the early 2000s, that was literally every team's strategy. It was ISO ball for the best player. But now, um, yeah, DeMar DeRozan, I really feel for him in San Antonio. We all know that. He knows for sure that he's not going to be there any longer. So I feel like this offseason, he has to go all out. I think he has to train very hard. A lot of people are starting to see him kind of like how a lot of people saw Chris Paul before this season. A lot of people are kind of already downplaying his accolades and like what he can do. Like I've already heard a lot of people saying, oh, is DeMar DeRozan really going to be good for much longer because he doesn't have a three-point shot and it's like well you don't really need to have a three-point shot to be great in this league like look at Jimmy Butler for instance like his three-point shot is it's better than DeRozan's but he doesn't have that good of a three-point shot so um, for me yeah DeMar DeRozan he probably can't climb the list anymore but I, I feel for him. Uh, I, I I hope he goes to maybe uh, an LA team or maybe back to Toronto to maybe be like a third option but, yeah, DeMar DeRozan, he's uh, number seven. At uh, number six, I got Brendan Ingram, who will definitely climb this list in the future. Um, he, he, we haven't even seen close to what he can do. I think he's in the, uh, the mold of, like, a KD. He looks unstoppable at times. Uh, he's averaging 24 a game. Him and Zion, that is a scary duo to think about. I think they can be the best duo in the league in, like, two years if everything comes together. Uh, so, uh, yeah, he can definitely climb this list. Really excited for him. So i got Ingram at six for now. Yeah, my number six, DeMar DeRozan, uh, the king of the mid-range in the NBA. You don't need that three-point shot like you mentioned there. And he's, uh, he's able to draw fouls, drive to the rim, everything you want in that kind of player. And he's been successful at it. So he's been doing this now 11 years, playing the same way and st- He's averaging, been an all-star, Olympian, so I don't think his career is done, but I hope, like, he's been loyal this whole time in Toronto and in going to San Antonio. He was good about it. Now I think it's time where he's a little bit selfish in the offseason and say, you know what, I'll take a pay cut, I'll go to L.A., the Clippers or Lakers, and or maybe I'll go back to Toronto, do what's best for his career, go for the best fit, and uh, hopefully win a championship because we all know he deserves it. Yeah, my number six, it's surprising because I love this guy, but he only played like 40 games. Paul George at number six, um, easily probably third if he plays the full year. But um, yeah, this year he had the shoulder injury and, um, you know, he was kind of just easing his way into it in the first year last year. For me, he was third in MVP voting. He averaged 28 last year. He erupted in OKC. Um, we all know that he easily could be a better offensive scorer than Kawhi. Actually, I think he might be. Um, he's overall, I think he's got a better three-point shot than Kawhi. Um, but again, the defensive game, Paul George, amazing. Uh, he's one of those complete small forwards. A lot of people, again, we didn't have him in the shooting guard list last week. 
But um, I got to show him some love here uh, at number six easily. If he played another 10 games, he would probably be third. But, you know, I got to I got to put the stats in there. So he's number six. Uh, number five, same guy, Paul George. Uh, yeah, I really wanted to put him higher. I think he started 42 games. Um, but his three-point percentage has been the best of his career this far. It's, it's kind of surprising to me. Yeah, him and Kawhi just look so dominant when they play at times. I uh, love Paul George. He's been second fiddle the last few years, so uh, everyone was kind of like curious how we kind of how we'd uh, mesh with Russ and then Kawhi, and it's just been he's been the All Star that everyone's known and loved. Uh, and ever since he came off that injury, there's always been concerns. This guy is one of the most underrated stars in the league, in my opinion. So uh, Paul George at number five. Yeah, my number five. I got Chris Middleton of Milwaukee. Not much you can really say. He's productive. He's a good second option. It's clearly Giannis on that team and everyone else. But uh, for what he does to the team, he does uh, help Giannis a lot, uh, creates space for him. So I got him there, and uh, Milwaukee's record is a good showing for that because he's been uh, balling out right now. So Middleton. Yeah, my number five, I got the Slender Man. I got Brandon Ingram at number five. Um like Pinello said about him, he's averaging 24. This is the breakout. Um, this guy is scary. When he dominates, he dominates. I think he's going to start averaging around 27, if not next year, maybe in two years' time. This guy reminds me of KD. I'm looking at his highlights and the way he drives, the way he dribbles. He's not the biggest guy. But that doesn't mean he's not strong. I mean, you look at his legs. I think he's got great leg power. He's got a great first step. His three-point shot is amazing. Um, I think this guy, if he gets more of a jump shot, like a consistent mid-range, oh, man, uh, he, he could easily be number two on the list. So um, Brandon Ingram for now is five. But when we do this in the 2020s, like later on, this guy's going to be headlining. Oh, yeah. Uh, number four, Jimmy Butler. He's been on three teams in the last, like, fucking four years, so he kind of gets unnecessary heat. He's got a big personality, but you know what? The guy's a winner. He makes clutch shots down the line. He knows what it takes. He's a solid two-way player. Uh, he's still averaging 20. Um, I think with that young group with the heat, with an emerging band, and Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson, I just think he fits perfectly in the mix there. Is that a as a centerpiece for the Heat. So hopefully he can stick there for a few more years. And uh, Jimmy Butler, number uh, number four. I also got Jimmy Butler, number four, everything you mentioned there. And, yeah, his work ethic does uh, rub people the wrong way at times. Uh, hopefully he's able to stay there and uh, not wear out his welcome in a year. So for right now, it seems to be working well. I got Jimmy Butler, number four. Yeah, my number four, Chris Middleton on uh, Milwaukee. It was between him and Butler for four. Um, I think Butler had a little bit of a better year when you think of, um, you know, impactful to their team. Uh, I think Jimmy Butler, what he did in Miami, just he changed it. Um, but for Chris Middleton, man, this guy was a second-round pick. I don't know how. This guy is amazing. Um, the reason why I have him so high is because he was literally .1 away from having a 50 40 90 season and no one has that like nowadays like if you have that you have to be one of the elite shooters in the nba 
And yes, it is Giannis's team, and you know what he does, he's dominant every night. But man, Chris Middleton, he is that X factor. Like I was saying last year when the Raptors faced Milwaukee, we were thankful that Middleton never really went off in any games. I think he went off in one game, and it was the game they won. I think it was in Toronto too. But man, like Middleton never went off in that series, and if he did. I don't really know if we would have won. So Middleton, he's number four, but man, he to me is the story of the year. Like no one really talks about Middleton. Uh, Pinello, you talk about Paul George being an underrated star. I think Chris Middleton screams underrated star. I think he's probably the most underrated player in the league. So Chris Middleton's at number four. Uh, yeah, I got Middleton at number three, uh, like 50, 40, 90 season. Only like two guys have done that in history. Uh, he's been solid his entire career, but it seems like no one's really talked about him until like last year. But when you're behind the two-time reigning MVP, 25-year-old fucking freaky Giannis Antetokounmpo, no one's really going to talk about Chris Middleton a whole lot. But like he's a phenomenal shooting option behind him. He really should get some more love. So he's been the third best this year, in my opinion. Yeah, I got uh, Brendan Ingram at number three. Uh Everything since in LA, a lot of people were saying, Oh, maybe is he a bust? Is he not living up to his potential? Ever since he's been in New Orleans, he's just knocked it out the park there. He's phenomenal. Uh, him, Lonzo, Josh Hart, uh, Zion, they're going to be a scary team going forward. And I, they can even be next year in contention top five. So I think uh, his performance right there, he's an all star. He's going to be one of those players that could get like 28 points a year, 27. Uh, he's still developing, which is scary. Uh, Three-point game, everything. And, yeah, he does remind me of KD, too. So he could be uh, one of the Western Conference in the next few years. So that's scary to look at. I got him at number three. Yeah, number three is Jimmy Butler. Like I said, uh, he changed the culture in Miami. He goes there. Everyone kind of doubts him. You know, because he didn't have the success in Minnesota and Philly. Um, a lot of people thought when he went to Philly, he would make them win. Like, he'd make them winners. And unfortunately, they ran into a red-hot Kawhi Leonard in Game 7. So, um, that happened. But Jimmy Butler, man, this guy, uh, he's 30 or 31 now. So, he, like uh, Pinello said about Gordon Hayward, he's in win-now mode. Um, I don't know if he's going to have a better year. Like, I think this might be his best year in Miami when you look at stats. But... He has a great supporting cast. He has Bam Adebayo, who is probably a top five center already. He's 22. Um, you have Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson. They're To me, they're the white version of the Splash Brothers. They're amazing. You have uh, Kendrick Nunn, who's claiming he's the rookie of the year, but he's not. Um, so they have, a, they have a great cast there. And I feel like Jimmy Butler, like I said about Kyle Lowry, like I've said about so many different guys like Drew Holiday, Jimmy Butler is the guy that glues everything together in Miami. So for that reason, he's number three. And like, like, like a lot of people said about him in Philly and Minnesota when all those you know accusations came out, I think that was just Jimmy Butler trying to be the best leader he can be. It's not about him being a negative person or a bad teammate. I think it's just him trying to get the best out of everybody. So for me, Jimmy Butler... For me, he's one of the most respected guys in the league. I love him. I think he's probably a top five leader. He's number three. Number two, Kawhi Leonard. Yay. Uh, he's played most of the games this year. He's been low managing 
during the games, but he suited up for most of them, so don't give me any shit. He's averaging 26.9, which is the most in his career, which is pretty surprised when I had to look that one up. The only thing I was really not concerned, I was just kind of curious about how him and Paul would go to the Clippers, because sometimes, like, you just drop these big person, not big personality, these big stars on the team. It could sometimes fuck up the chemistry. So I just kind of wanted to see how uh, Lou Will and Pat Bev and all those guys would mix around them. But Kawhi has been phenomenal. One of the best players in the league this year. Uh, so, yeah, he's got the runner-up spot. My uh, runner-up from L.A., LeBron James. I knew uh, it. I knew it. <laughs> I don't have him at the number one spot. He's having a great year. A lot of people can say he's MVP caliber. That's good. Uh, Anthony Davis hasn't disrupted the chemistry. Throwing down, Alito. Throwing down. But uh, every time he's played the Clippers, I don't see LeBron James. So it's number two. <laughs> yeah, my number two is Kawhi. Um, he, uh, yeah, Kawhi Leonard is absolutely a LeBron killer, but that doesn't mean he, I don't think he's better than LeBron, not this year. Um, LeBron to me is arguably MVP this year. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, if he played every game as hard as LeBron did, um, then maybe he would be an MVP candidate. Um, like Pinello said, he has career highs in points per game, I think uh, assists, rebounds, I think he all has across the board. So it, statistically, he's having his best year this year in, in L.A., but I don't have him better than LeBron. Uh, maybe in like a year or two, he'll be better than him. But right now, it's still LeBron's throne. So right now, Kawhi number two and LeBron at number one. <laughs> Is there 35 years old, 17th season, arguably still the best player in the league? So like, I really don't have much to add. Like, Career high in assists this year, which is fucking unbelievable. Uh, the way he's transitioned. He's actually a point guard this year, so that's another fuck up on us. But, like, whatever. He's been small forward most of his life. Um, he's just been unbelievable. Him and Davis, like, I think the Lakers have been the best team the last month before uh, the season closed down or whatever. But the guy just does it year after year. I really, yeah, LeBron, number one. Number one for me. Kawhi Leonard, uh, reigning finals MVP, something LeBron is not, hasn't been that in a while. Uh, reigning Kobe All-Star Game MVP, LeBron didn't win that, Kawhi, Kawhi did. Uh, whenever he plays, it's uh, when he's actually when he's bothered, like when he feels a need to, he wins and <laughs> he scores. So Kawhi Leonard uh, also won a championship last year. LeBron hasn't done that in a while. Uh, positive record. <laughs> yeah, Kawhi Leonard's my number one small forward. I agree with everything you say. <laughs> it's just so funny having someone over LeBron. It's just so funny. Yeah, LeBron's number one. And uh, I don't see him slowing down. And, like, he's 35 years old. Like, when is this guy going to slow down? Like, I remember we were talking about the pod last year when he pulled his groin, and we're like, okay, is this it? Is this where, like, we draw the line? Is this where the GOAT kind of becomes the afterthought? And nope, he comes back, and he absolutely dominates for a full year. I think he sat out, like, six games, not even a career-high in assists. He, he just 
He brings the best out of all his teammates, too. Like, Davis, Caruso. Like, all these guys are just... Like, even Caldwell Pope. Like, two years ago, I'm like, is this guy actually going to, like, be in the NBA? And then all of a sudden, you know, this guy goes back to the Lakers. And, you know, fireworks start happening. So, LeBron James, number one. Um, When you think of longevity, no one is going to do it like LeBron so for me, he's number one. Next year, he could easily be number one again. So I have no idea. But for now, he's number one. Another thing about this is like, where do you guys see KD? Obviously, it's inevitable. He's going to probably be a top 10 next year. So do you think his career, like, will we see a decline in him after that serious injury? Or can he come back and be a top two, three small forward? I'll predict right now he will be the third best small forward when we do this list in a year's time I think he will be the number one small forward in the league Brooklyn Nets in the finals go fuck yourself (laughs) his offensive game it's untouchable like when you think of offensive player he's number one Um, defensively he's again he's an afterthought kind of like a Paul George Um, so He's easily top three. I mean, a lot of people, You don't, for me, the only debate is, can he be as red hot as Kawhi Leonard has been the last, like, year and a half? Like, that's where, like, I know you're a big Kawhi fan. Like, you have him number one. A lot of people from, from like, April of 2019 till now, a lot of people are saying Kawhi's better than KD. But I don't really know, man. KD, like... The last four or five years, he was easily scratching to be better than LeBron James. So, I don't know, man. He could be, like, with Pinello, he could be number one. But, again, he could even be number three. It's it, it's it's preference at that point. Or if he's really banged up, probably not even make the list next year. So, uh, this is a tough injury to come back from. Hopefully, he can do good. But, I don't know. That's a tough one. I think he's rolling. I think he might be a shooting guard, just uh, take the wear and tear out. But uh, that's a team that has a lot of question marks going into next year. Yeah. For me, it's just like, am I putting him number one on shooting guard or small forward? Like when it comes to KD, I am really not concerned. Like a little bit after Christmas time, remember all those videos came out of him hitting the jump shot? Just, he looks fine. And on top, that was like five, six months ago, all this rest that he's getting. I think when he comes back, whenever the hell the season remains, or if you go into next year, I think KD's going to be fine. With that young group around him, and with Kyrie, to me, if they're all healthy, the Brooklyn Nets are easily going to the finals. Yeah, they have KD, Kyrie, Karis LeVert is, to me, I think he's a star in the making. You have Dinwiddie, if he stays, there's your sixth man. And, of course, you have DeAndre Jordan and Jared Allen, who just – block everything so yeah i agree with pinello i think if brooklyn's healthy they will kill the raps no offense like they would i think they would eat the raps alive and uh at that point it would be between the bucks nets and celtics so yeah oh guys there it is (laughs) there was our list there was our maple leaves stroll down memory lane and uh, of course wrestling from right at the kickoff uh This has been another great episode, episode 76, and uh, stick around for next week for the double seven. Thanks a lot.
Uh, so welcome back to In the Zone, episode 76. Uh, as you heard our thoughts on the week that was here in wrestling, NBA, NHL. Happy to be joined by my guest here, Aaron Zaretsky. He's going to give his thoughts on WrestleMania. So Aaron, first of all, yeah. how you doing? And, uh, doing well. How was WrestleMania? <laughs> uh, yeah, so WrestleMania, right? It was uh, better than what I thought, you know, first time ever. No fans in the performance center, close set. Uh, most of the matches were really good. Some of them weren't so good, but overall, it was excellent. You know, the Boneyard match, the Firefly Funhouse match, those were like, uh, for me, those were like really stood out, right? Because it's like cinematic wrestling. It's like, I guess maybe it's like the new thing, a new trend. And yeah, it was just uh, really cool to see and everything. So what do you think with no fans? Did that change the way you were watching it? Like, did you feel like, Oh, okay. It's uh, there's a match going on, but I'm not quite into it. Like, what are your thoughts on the no fans aspect of it? Yeah, like it was definitely um, interesting to uh, you know see where it's like you know the wrestlers come out and you know it's like there's no like cheering, there's no booing, there's just you know they just go out do their thing. And but one thing that I liked though was that the wrestlers did a good job of taking advantage of the uh, no fans because they're able to talk throughout the match. I remember, like, in Asuka's match, right? She was yeah. talking throughout. And, like, Sami Zayn, he was just talking throughout, making it more uh, entertaining. Um, and also, too, right, if there was uh, no fans, right, then they wouldn't be able to have that big, giant WrestleMania sign where the, you know, seats where the fans would be, right? Then you, then you wouldn't get that, um, you know, that moment, right, where Kevin Owens jumps off the, that giant WrestleMania sign t- and, you know, elbow Seth Rollins, which was really cool to see. Yeah, so the what match, like, they kicked it off with the women's tag, and that was actually a long match. And the second night, they start off with the one-on-one NXT championship. Which one stood out out of the two? And uh, did they make the right call with Charlotte winning? I think so. I think so. And that was a really good match. It was like, I think it ran off for a good half hour. And she what and what she did right on her press that she made really Rhea Ripley look really good like you know like although she lost she you know made her like oh you know she's a really good up and coming uh, women's wrestler uh, and yeah which is a really good match went back and forth you know it looked you know Rhea Ripley had some good moments but other than that to Charlotte you know she's the best one going right now for the women's division and you know new NXT champion. Yeah, so uh, now she's going to be on Wednesday nights with NXT. They're battling it out with AEW for the ratings. Hasn't yeah. gone their way. So will Charlotte add to NXT's product and uh, lead to maybe a few more fans tuning in in their ratings battle? Yeah, yeah, I think so, definitely. Like, Charlotte has a you know strong following, which will help. And I think that Charlotte, I think she just got, like, tired of being on Raw or SmackDown fighting the same women over and over again. So she probably, you know, that's probably why she challenged Rhea Ripley for the belt. Because, like, oh, you know, they got really Ripley down there. They had Bianca Belair down there. Let's, you know, I guess she wants to fight new uh, women, right? So, and, yeah, I think she's enjoying it. And, um, yeah, and it would definitely help out the ratings, too, for the Wednesday, you know. Because Charlotte, right, is the best yeah. one going for the women's division, so it definitely helped. Another wrestler who uh, is part-time a little bit, Goldberg, 
came out and had a yeah. I don't know if you can call it a match, a two-minute match with Braun Strowman. Braun Strowman goes yeah. over. What is the whole point of this now? Like, was Goldberg's return even worth it? Him beating the Fiend and then losing so quickly, or should they have got Goldberg beat Braun Strowman? Yeah, like I got no clue why Goldberg even came back. To be honest, <laughs> you know, like he comes back, he wins the heavyweight championship, and then it's like okay. We'll have him versus Roman Reigns. But then you see it doesn't happen at WrestleMania. And, like, Braun Strowman, like, he wasn't even supposed to have a match at WrestleMania. So he goes from that to having a heavyweight title match to winning it. Um, and, yeah, it was just so strange cause, and because, you know, I was expecting, you know, that Goldberg was going to drop the belt anyhow, right? Whether it be Roman Reigns or Braun Strowman, right? Because it's like, oh, yeah, they wanted Roman Reigns to be the new champion, right? But then things happen. And yeah, it was... Uh, I don't know, it's hard to explain that one. <laughs> so now with uh, Roman Reigns probably going to get that title shot, you think Braun Strowman's title reign is like a short one? Or you think Braun Strowman should actually get an opportunity to have a long reign with it? Uh, well, I think it'll go. his reign will go until at least SummerSlam. You know, until, like, I think when Roman Reigns comes back, when this is all over, you know, they'll, they will probably have a match with Roman Reigns winning, and then it'll just go from there. And now uh, they even announced that Money in the Bank is going to happen, which is May, like, sometime in May. So there's another one that could be at the Performance Center. Do you think they should still have that event, or should they postpone that now that they know uh, the situation going on? Yeah, I think they should just pro- postpone it because initially I thought, okay, they're doing these shows, the you know Raw SmackDown, get ready for WrestleMania, do WrestleMania. They're like, okay, now that that's done, then we'll just take a pause, wait for everything to come back to normal. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a surprise that you know they just keep this going until you know it could be a few more months, right? Until they have fans once again at one of their events, and. Uh, but I guess Vince McMahon, right? He's a fighter. He doesn't really believe in, I guess, postponing any events, <laughs> even during a global pandemic, right? So, uh, but at least, though, right, there, since there's not really much else going on on television, right, at least there's something to watch each and every week. Yeah, and uh, you brought up earlier about the cinematic matches. Like, they had the Boneyard, and then they had the Firefly Funhouse one. We'll start with the Boneyard match. Undertaker comes back in the motorcycle, uh, wreaks havoc on everyone. What are your thoughts yeah. on the Undertaker returning to this, and what did you think about the match? Oh, I thought it was excellent. Like, much better than what I thought. And it was just, it was so cool of how they incorporated all the different decades of Undertaker. They incorporated bits and pieces of it, and they made him look really strong, right? And, and the Boneyard match, I'm like, okay. You know, I was thinking, you know, be like a buried alive match, right? And and it turned out the, for the end to be like that. Um, but yeah, just throughout, it was so just so cool to see. And then it's like <laughs> that moment, right, where like Aunt Car- you know, you know, Gallows and Anderson come out, and they hit him, and then these other random people, right? So it's like I think it's like a ten on one, right? So it's like I'm going like Jackie Chan, right? Just trying to beat these people up left, right, and center, and just <laughs> yeah, it was. It was awesome. Awesome to see. It was a unique first time I've seen a match like that. So, uh, 
Yeah, it was it was wonderful. Yeah, so that one had like that action hero action movie type feel, and then on uh, the Sunday night, the Firefly Funhouse match. I don't know what that was, <laughs> but uh, it's getting some mixed reviews. I liked it, but uh, what'd you think of the way that was compared to the Boneyard match? Uh, well, I kind of like the Boneyard match better than the Funhouse match. Because there was, you know, the Boneyard was more of an actual match where it was fighting and everything. The Funhouse match was more like, just like a monster where it's just like different parts all piled together. But what I liked about the finals match is that like it was kind of like a this of this is your life for yeah. John Cena. So it just goes through the different you know eras, right? The different uh, care- personas that he had over um, over his wrestling career, and there was just funny. Mo- and to incorporate the puppets, uh, that <laughs> gave it like extra like, entertaining element, right? Especially when they had like the Vince McMahon puppet and that other one doing some commentary. <laughs> Right, and it was just so hilarious. Like when that Vince McMahon puppet said, "Oh, you know, this is such good shit." I, I was just laughing just so hard, just laughing so hard. It, it was it was fun to watch. And now, like, do you want to see this going forward on uh, just pay per views, or would you like to see them have this as like something if Bray Wyatt's on TV on a SmackDown and has a match? Do you want to see that going forward? Yes, yeah, I would. But not like in small dosages. Like, don't do yeah. it like every single time. Because I think this is a situation kind of like with Brock Lesnar, right? Where it's like less is more, like less of him is more. So, in this case, less of these matches, you know, the effect will be much greater, right? Because cause I think right now, Vince McMahon, Dirty, they're seeing that, oh, you know, this Boneyard match and the Funnels match, it got really good, you know, reviews, right? Like, a lot yeah. of people enjoy it. But you don't want to kill it, right? Because right now they're hot, so you don't want to kill it. So, you know, yes, I like to see it more, you know, more because, you know, for the Funhouse match, it helps out Bray Wyatt and the Fiend character. But, uh, you know, maybe once every couple months or so. Yeah, and I mentioned there, like, Brock Lesnar, less is more. He's been on TV, like, seems like he's been on every week. So that part-time deal turned into, like, a full-time sudden but he dropped the title to drew mcintyre no fans were there so kind of took away from drew mcintyre's moment considering it's like took him all that time to win his first title so what'd you think of the match and uh what do you think of drew mcintyre finally getting the wwe title yeah so with drew mcintyre right it's a highlight of his career becoming champion which i thought would happen Right, because, you know, the whole storyline and how, you know, he wins at WrestleMania, I mean, wins at the Royal Rumble, right, to get his first title match, and then the way he built it up, uh, becomes champion. And, uh, and, yeah, it's just so weird, right, with, like, Brock Lesnar, right? So now it'll be interesting to see what goes on from here. Like, does Brock Lesnar get a re- rematch for the belt? Does Drew McIntyre just continue to fight more people like the Big Show? <laughs> <laughs> uh, for the belt, so uh, yeah, I'm happy for Drew McIntyre because it's you know it, it sucks for him that you know there were no fans, so he wasn't able to get that you know that WrestleMania like all the fireworks and and everything. But um, but over that, I'm happy that Drew McIntyre is new champion because Brock Lesnar doesn't really work for this WWE. He's just I guess go back to the UFC because that's more of his style. And yeah, just happy for McIntyre. 
Who would you want to see next for now that Brock Lesnar's not champ anymore? Is there like any matches that would interest you to see like that aren't for a title that they think you think they should uh, book maybe down the road? Uh, yeah. So for for Raw, for, yeah, for Drew McIntyre, like there's definitely guys, uh, you know that you know like Roman Reigns, right? When Roman, well, Roman Reigns was on SmackDown. I'm just thinking it for a moment. Uh, you know, maybe Jinder Mahal comes back <laughs> and they have a rivalry, right, with Drew McIntyre, right, because they knew each other from the 3MB. Um, other than that, maybe Ricochet. Maybe they use Ricochet, build him up again, uh, see what happens, and uh, who knows, maybe down the line, maybe like Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Chan will come to Raw, and then you have a nice, really good rivalry. Uh, yeah, that'd be good. I like those picks. Uh, Last one, Edge. Let's save the best for last. Uh, the Canadian Edge comes back. First match in nine years at Mania. And he comes out beating Randy Orton. Looked amazing. He's almost 46 years old. And the match he put on, what did you think of seeing Edge back in the ring? And where do you think he goes from here now with that big win? Uh, so this was the match I was looking forward the most, right? Because as you said, right, long layoff. has been nine years. And, yeah, the match, right, nearly lasted 40 minutes, right? So it was first singles match to go that long. Such a brutal match. Um, and, yeah, it was just really good job of how they did it. Edge, right, beats Randy Orton. And, yeah, when he goes from here, I don't know. Like, like it's kind of hard to say cause, because, you know, does he really have any rivalries with any of the superstars currently on Raw, right? So... I don't know. It's hard to say what, what they do for him. Maybe they just continue the rivalry currently going him with Randy Orton because of that past and everything. But, yeah, it'd definitely be interesting to see what they go from here because I believe Edge signed a three-year contract with WWE. So, you know, they can't have him fight Randy, right? They're going to have to incorporate him with other, you know, storylines and wrestlers too. So, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe he'll be a guy for Drew McIntyre to fight for the heavyweight belt, you know, at the Universal Championship. So, um, you know, maybe that would be interesting, right? Edge back on top of the mountain. <laughs> That'd be fun. Uh, well, Aaron, uh, can you tell our listeners you can follow you on social media and get to hear all your opinions on uh, sports and wrestling? Um, yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter. It's uh, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N underscore sports. Um, Instagram, it's uh, my full name, Aaron Zaretsky, so Z-A-R-E-T-S-K-Y. And, yeah, that's how you can follow me, keep up to date. Uh, and, um, you know, with wrestling and, and everything, not just wrestling, but, you know, because I'm in, into NHL, NBA, MLB. So if you like sports, you know, check me out. Yeah, you heard it there. That's Aaron Zaretsky. Aaron, thanks a lot for coming up. Yeah, thank you.